Welcome to the Wealthy Money Property Podcast, your ultimate resource to unlocking your inner property guru and building a property investment portfolio. Now, introducing your host for the show. So, hey, hey, property magicians. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. I am flying solo this episode. It's a bonus episode, so it doesn't have a number. My name is Dr. Miranda. I'm Prop Doc Mom on all the social platforms. I am Dr. Miranda underscore Prop Doc Mom on Instagram. I am the host of Property Magicians Podcast, and I am the co-founder of Property Magicians um, Property Stock Fund, that is the funder and the sponsor of this podcast. My co-host, Vangile, is up in Mexico and she is running, incidentally, a retreat and she starts in about an hour, um, a, a week's retreat with her retreatants up in Mexico. It's been a minute since we've recorded together. Miss her a lot and sending all of them a, an absolute, absolute big hug for the big inner work that they will be doing. So I am flying solo this day and I have decided we are going to do a different podcast. Um, rather than have a guest, I'm going to do a solo one. We've been threatening to do this kind of um, webinar slash um, podcast for a, for a long time. I happen to be a property mentor for beginners as well. And that puts me in a position of having to repeat the same answers over and over. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to share my journey of property investing. It's a blessing to have so many people rely on, on getting an answer and a simplified answer to their property investment questions. So what is this episode about? This episode is the questions. I'm literally, literally took them off my WhatsApp from my my various um, property mentees. And um, I know they won't mind. I share with them all the time that I, I mentor in property investing and I mentor beginner property investors for the reason that I was very upset when I discovered that there were so many questions, little questions that my mentors could have answered much simpler so that I get to my property investing journey much quicker, right? So this is what this episode is about. And I'm going to, I hope it is going to open your eyes. It's going to make you read more. It's going to make you go and want and seek more information um, on property investing. And most importantly, it's going to kick you into taking some action because I think Knowledge that we gain, if it sits in your pocket or it sits in a little black book somewhere and it's not applied, it is knowledge, it's knowledge wasted. 
and it doesn't become property investing. So that is what our episode is going to be about. There are other things that I wanted to handle. Uh, property magicians are property stock fell. We've got deals that are lined up that require funding. We are holding off a bit because we have got other logistical issues that we are sorting out in the background. And we want to make the property magician stock fell as pleasurable for everybody and as fruitful for everybody. So join me on this bonus episode as I fly solo. I am going to answer some questions, as I said, from my mentees. Let's begin. Let's begin. I am not going to take them in any order. And as you will notice, these questions will cover anything from property management, anything from um, structures and, and, and mechanisms of investing, anything about financing. So they are very, very diverse. I literally went on my WhatsApp because how I do the property mentorship is that I, I give sessions to my mentees. But in between, they've got WhatsApp support and they do call me or send me WhatsApp. Um, yeah, I respond better on text and then they do that. And I will answer a question and then set up a call with them just to follow up. Or when there's an issue that I need to explain, I record a voice note for them so that they always have that answer with them. So um, a disclaimer upfront. If it is a finance or an accounting question or a legal question, my disclaimer is always, I am a doctor, right? And at medical school, they did not teach accounting or legal. I only know property accounting in as far as I have used it. And because I hang out with people in property investing uh, circles, I, 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 I happen to know some answers about that. But on the whole, please take these answers, go check them out for yourself and sit down and discuss them with your respective accountant or your conveyancer if it's a legal thing. And uh, please understand that as well. Not all accountants have experience in property accounting, so they may respond in a way that is contrary to what I'm giving you. And then there could be clashes in, in information in that. And that's why <coughs> different people do different streams of accounting. So let's go. We won't mention names, but I'm sure some of my, some of my mentees will recognize their own questions here. So here's question number one. I'll see how many I get through. Um, I I will I will not know how 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 many we will be able to handle in the time of recording. Question number one from a mentee. Not repeat. Okay. So the new owner of my property is insisting that I evict my tenant in inverted commas my tenant. But this is not my problem, Miso, is it? Explain this to me. Why is the new owner that has just bought my property 
Why is he insisting that I evict the current tenant that he found there? All right. So there are many ways of answering this. And the easiest, the easiest thing that I can tell you is that um, the offer to purchase, that contract is such a powerful tool in that the new owner who was at the time a buyer could have put a clause in there and negotiated that way that I am buying number 10, steady street, um, unit number, whatever it is, and I want it vacant, which means the seller at the time then gives a notice to the tenant to say, you probably have mm, give or take 10 weeks in which to find yourself alternative um, uh, alternative um, accommodation. I am selling the unit. There, there are people who are going to come and view. There will be a, an electrician who will come also as well to check the electricity to do the compliance certificate. And then once the property transfers, it will not be my property. Therefore, your lease agreement and mine will lapse automatically because I don't own the property anymore. Once it is transferred to the owner number X. All right. So that's the easiest offer to purchase. Offer to purchase gives the both the seller and the buyer some powers to anonate, you know, to say the things that they want and the things that they don't want and the things that they want to give up. If that has failed <clears throat> and they are at the point where they are having a discussion about who should evict, evict the, the tenant, then it's easy. The lease agreement that exists before I sell my house, it says owner Miranda Molotov and whoever, tenant X, they enter into this lease agreement, which is renewable on the whatever, 30th of September. But if on the 9th of September, the transfer has happened, Miranda Moloto doesn't own the property anymore, right? So that lease is null and void. In the court of law, the tenant doesn't have any leg to stand on because he does not have a lease. So the new, the new owner can essentially just be gracious and give the tenant 30, 30 days to move to say, well, I know you, you've been living here, but this unit is sold and I... I need to do maintenance or whatever. I need you to move. Some new owners, what they even do is, okay, it's the 10th of September. Can I pay you back this amount of rent so that you can move? I really don't, I don't want a tenant. I want to start a, ten, a new tenant lease with whoever I want to start it with, or I want to maintain this property. I don't want anyone on it. Right. So that's the easy that's those are the easy answers. So a lease agreement is an a lease agreement is a contract between the current landlord, current tenant. That's why it is so important, even if your tenant were to give 
they lease to their sister, for instance, and say, oh, okay, I'm going to move. But my sister will stay in the, in the unit. I know we signed a one-year contract. That contract doesn't stand because the person that signed the lease is the person that the landlord has interaction with. And the landlord has the rights against the person that signed the lease, but not with the new person that is in that room. If that new person is in that unit and the, their name is not on the lease, they probably won't even pay rent and you cannot do a thing to them. All right. So lease agreements is extremely important. And don't let the lease agreement be between boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay, Mr. X and Miss X now live in your unit. Who did you sign the lease with? That's the person that you're going to demand your rent from. All right. And with the landlord, same thing. The landlord's name that's on the list on the lease is the landlord that has signed the contract. No one else. No one else. All right. So I'm not sure how they sorted it out, but I do know that my mentee, who was the old owner of the unit, did not have a lease in place because they don't own the unit anymore. All right. Let's move on to the second question. Another mentee of mine says, my sister, my sisters and I, so she's got two sisters. They are three at home. My sisters and I want to buy a property together. We are very excited. We have found this um, beautiful house in a suburb that we are going to buy and rent out to several tenants. And because it, because we are family, it's easier, isn't it? Or am I not seeing anything? So she wrote this on WhatsApp and I had to get back to her on a voice note. All right. Disclaimer again. These are accounting and legal, legal questions that one has to deal with. And it is important. It is important even when you are buying with a loved one, an intimate partner, your husband, your sister, your mom, them to ask very, very, very pertinent questions. It's always best not to buy in your personal names. If now Miss X, Miss Y, Miss Z are going to be signatories to this house and they all say they own it, indeed they can write their names down on the offer to purchase, write their IDs down. But here's the thing. The sisters have got two kids each. She has a kid as well and all their children are minors. All of them are less than 21 years of age. Now, if you buy the, this house and there's three of you and you have got an asset, right? Let's say it has got tenants in it and you are making 10,000 rents. It's well and good while everything is hunky-dory and you are speaking to each other. And yeah, so you pay them, you pay the bond, you pay the city of whatever city you live in, you, you pay for water and light, and then you are all left with 6,000 rents and each person gets 2,000 bucks. But what happens? What happens when that 
transaction doesn't happen that way? What happens when that transaction doesn't work because people have stopped talking to each other and they are having issues? What happens when there is maintenance to be done and maintenance exceeds this 10,000? How do you make contributions? Today, Miranda has got a thousand bucks and the sister only has 500 bucks and the other sister only has 200 bucks. So you make these contributions. We are family, right? It's good. But does it mean the next time when the 10,000 comes around and we've got this 10,000 to divide it up, does the one that has contributed a thousand bucks get more so that we pay them back? And where is it calculated? How is it calculated? Third thing, if God forbid one of them passes on, they are children. Their names are not necessarily written on that title deed. The title deed is owned by the three sisters. If by some chance this sister has got a will, yes, these children have some claim to this house or this property, but they have to go through the illegal uh, hoops so that they can claim their share. And are they going to be fairly compensated and be given every penny that their mother had contributed towards this house? And ultimately, maybe for fairness and for, for them, and if these children are not interested in a property, um, maybe you end up having to sell this house and it's a good property, it's cash flowing, and then you have to sell this house now so that you have to divide up so that these two kids can get, can get something. And God forbid this one of the sisters passes on without a will. What then of these children? Because it's not written anyway. Okay, so... What is the best way to do this? So we had a conversation. I sent her a voice note and I said, remember, you and I still have <coughs> session number three, where we talk about um, structuring business deals and property deals. You don't buy a property with a group of people without proper structuring because when we buy property, you're buying an asset. You need a way of managing cash flow from that asset, but you also need to protect your estate. If three of us buy a house and we contribute 300,000 and this house is a 900,000, right? And this house appreciates in value. And in the next five years, it is something like 1.2 million. Each one of us needs to benefit from this, but each one of us needs to benefit from this even beyond our death. And each one of us must be able to list it on our forms when we write assets and liabilities. You can write very confidently that you own 33% of a property that is worth 1.2 million. You own a third of that house and your sisters also uh, um, own a third of that house, right? So there's a way of writing it. 
And this structuring doesn't happen by just agreement because we are beautiful people. We love each other and we are sisters and everything is good. You protect the estate in case you die. You protect the estate in case I want to go into another business deal with my co-host, for instance. If I go into business, if into, into another property deal with Vangile, I'm able to loosen myself from, from that deal that I have done with my sisters. You can't do that if your name is all over the place. So what's the best way? What's the best mechanism of, of approaching that? That is how <coughs> you will find that um, you will find your pick and pays or your Coca-Cola. They have got a holding company or they form a new company and they will tell you that in Coca-Cola number one or Coca-Cola holdings, this other Coca-Cola has got 5% shares. But the Coca-Cola Kenya has got 10% shares in the Coca-Cola of South Africa. But if they open Coca-Cola in China, uh, Coca-Cola China owns is, is, is 15% owned by the Coca-Cola South Africa. That's how you do it. So best thing to do before you buy a property is property structure. Avoid buying properties in your personal name. This allows you to partner up and to disengage much easier. In companies, you can fold down the company. The company sells this, comp this, 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 this property and you part ways. And if you want to partner up with other people, you, you form a special vehicle, uh, property vehicle uh, to, to buy a property and you are able to protect your percentage. Your percentage is what your ownership is and you are able to list it in your will, in your trust, and you can write it in your assets and liabilities. But when it is in the trust, even better protection speaks from the grave. When, if you pass away, God forbid you pass away, your kids are still minors, that percentage will have been spoken for because you will have told the world, how you want your percentage to be handled. My 33% remains in place for as long as that property is in existence. Any proceeds or any earnings that come from that property shall be deposited for my children in this way or that way. If this property happens to be sold, and there are any, there is a profit coming from that property. This is how I want it to be handled. 50% of it, I want it to be given to my children. 50% of it must be placed into another trust so that they get it when they are 21 and 25 or something like that. So it's important, it's incredibly important. I know some banks have opened the mechanism of groups of people buying houses. But here's my sense. Buy a house in a company, in a holdings company, um, in a trust, not in your personal names, so that you can protect each other from relationship breakdowns. A company can still continue. You don't go and fight over a house and 
I am sure I've said this many, many times. That's why family homes are such a big, big, big thing in, in the Black community, because we don't write things down, but we don't structure properly. Yeah. So they've gone on um, to go and register a, 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 a property company together, and they are all directors, and they've got a third um, a third ownership of that company and they can go on and buy as many properties as they want in that company or register another one or come and partner with me or partner with anyone else that they want to. All right. Okay, so we've spoken about structuring a bit, right? And then this other one says, my third question, by the way, where does one even find investment properties? Where does one even find properties? That's an easy one. We'll deal with it quickly so that we can go on to the fourth question. <coughs> there are several mechanisms of finding investment properties. You need to know your market. You need to know what you are buying because investing in property is not just investing in property. There are 15 mechanisms of buying properties and you could be buying a self-storage you could be buying a hotel. You could be buying single units in townhouses. You could be buying a multi-let where there are multiple tenants. You could be buying a multi-let um, multi where there are students living, student accommodation. You could be buying, there are all sorts of properties, right? There are 15 strategies of, buy, of, 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 of property investment. So what do you want to do first? that you want to inform yourself is what am I going to do with a property? Am I buying for cash flow today or am I buying because I wanted to appreciate I still have my job, my money is good, my salary is good, I don't need any monies from the property. That's indeed, that's fine. You can buy the expensive units in expensive um, suburbs and you will get your appreciation if we do not have yeah, COVID like we did right now. So when you know what you're buying, when you know your strategy, then you are able to tell the next person what you're looking for. And the next person is your sourcing agent. So there are people called sourcing agents and these people help you to find properties. You do not even have to lift a finger. You just let them know, I'm looking for a multi-let. I'm looking in this area because it's close. It's closer to home. Or I've got a host or uh, someone who can do property management for me in Pretoria. And the people I want to rent out to are your bank tellers, your new entrants to the market, new graduates, because the rental income around this area is about 3,000, 3,200. Most of them can afford that. There you are. You are able to tell the agent and hopefully you're going to get an agent who understands investors. You do not want just any agent, any agent who's just trying to send you anything, anything that works, that looks like a house. So sourcing agents are your first place. And then there are obvious places that you go to. Obviously, Property24 is our big source. Private property, our big source, absolutely divine. You can find properties there. Not all of them are investment properties. You can negotiate and ask the agent, no, ask the seller, I want to buy it at this price or I don't want to buy it at this price. But 
as a property investor, buy right. You should be buying below market, right? So where do you find houses that are below market? If your sourcing agent is failing to find you uh, the ones that are below market, I, I look around when I drive. So I drive for miles. Sometimes I do find properties that will be dilapidated and um, the owner long died, their children are not interested. You can find some gems in Johannesburg, at least I know that. You can find some gems that way. But if you don't, there is, um, you can register on Sheriff HQ, S-H-I-R-I-F-F-H-Q.co.za, Sheriff HQ. The Sheriff, when they are closing on a house that's going on auction, they will have a list of those houses there. If you have friends who are conveyancers and they know some houses that are in distress and the owners are in distress and their houses are about to go on auction, you will find that those houses go for less than market price. So another way of finding them, auctions. I'm not your biggest fan of auctions because my own emotional sense doesn't work well with auctions, but there you are. So you can find um, some properties on auction um, and um, word of mouth. Word of mouth works a lot. We have found that there are people that will find a deal and they're like, not interested. There's a house in Soweto being sold for 600,000. It's got bedrooms and a garage not interested, so it is too far for me. I'm from Pretoria. I only understand Pretoria in Tembisa. There you go. So in circles or in property circles, people do pass on deals to each other. There you go. So I've given you some pointers on where to find uh, properties. Let's go on to question number four because I like this one very much. <laughs> Mizo, who must fix the broken cupboard and the stove in my unit that I'm renting? The landlord or myself? This came from a tenant. Someone who is renting a property. She is my mentor. She is my mentee. My mentee. And she wants to know the wardrobe cupboard. <laughs> the wardrobe or cupboard door fell off. And the stove in the kitchen is left with two plates. The other two plates are not working. She's been reporting it to the landlord and nothing has happened. No maintenance man has been sent. So she's asking me, so who maintains this property? I write a lease agreement does actually outline those things. I ended up with a voice note for her. A lease agreement will tell you who to call when something breaks. You don't call the landlord directly in most cases because there will be a managing agent. The managing agent will normally go and source the maintenance guy and sometimes they have an agreement with their landlord if they are managing the unit or the house for them that they will go and find three quotations from three contractors, who three electricians, who can fix the stove and they send the quotations to the landlord. The landlord will say yes or no. And then the managing agent will then 
get the contractor to the house and the stove will be fixed, the cupboard will be, or the door, the cupboard door will be replaced. And then what happens is when the tenant pays rent, then the um, managing agent is the one that pays the contractor and then pays themselves and then the balance goes to the landlord, right? So that is where there is a lease agreement. We are back at the law of contract. You don't go and live in a unit where there's no contract. And if your lease lapsed in 2020 and we are in 2022, what are you doing in that unit without a lease? You've got to have a lease that is renewed. You've got to have a lease that is current because the lease gives you, the tenant, certain rights. It gives the landlord certain rights and you can demand certain things. And in a managed unit, the managing agent is your person. That's the person to call when the toilet doesn't flush. So that's a very simple thing to do. And I find that most, mostly the reason why people end up asking these questions is because they saw the lease agreement on the day they moved in. Four years later, they are still leasing the same place and the lease has never been renewed. Most leases say it's an annual lease, renewable annually, but most people don't do that. So, so indeed, the, the owner of the property is the one that fixes the property, not the tenant by, by law, right? But you could have an arrangement with your landlord. Let's say there was no managing agent in between. Then I know someone who, 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 who was living in a house that he really, really, really liked. And what he did, I think he was one of our guests, if I'm not lying, yes, he was one of our guests. He, he lived in a house that he really liked and he kept fixing certain things and fixing and painting until this property looked so nice and clean. And when the landlord came by to see him and to sign a new lease or something like that, he was like, you like this tent, you love this house so much. It's so clean. Did you paint it? And this one says, yes, I did. And he says, oh, God, I'm going to give you a discount on the rent. So that happens a lot. That happens a lot when a tenant and a landlord have good, a very good understanding of how to maintain the property. You live here. Dignify the space that you live in and let me know how much you spend. Or the landlord will just simply say, I'm giving you a discount of 30% for the next three months. And <clears throat> that happens a lot in relationships that work very, very well. The rest of the other, other relationships have to be maintained by, by a lease agreement. All right. Question number... Five. I think I'm going to do question number five and leave it here. So question number five says, <laughs> Mizo, I found a great property to buy. It is only 702,000 rents and I'm pre-qualified for 1.2 million at, at my bank. It's cheap, right? Should I buy it? That was the question on, on the WhatsApp. And I think this one came from 
one of my friends, actually, it wasn't a mentee. I just remember this because I use it all the time as a silly thing to ask. Just because you are qualified for 1.2 million doesn't mean a property that's 600,000 is cheap or 700,000 is cheap. Just because you qualify for 1.2 million at the bank does not make it okay for you to buy a property for 702,000. And the reason I say that is because every <coughs> a property that you buy, if you're buying as a property investor, it has to make money. Does it have cash flow? Or at least is it gonna appreciate at some point? That is the reason why you buy property. It's not cheap. It's not made cheap by what you qualify for at the bank, right? That's the first thing. Secondly, what is your strategy? And how much do you want out of, a, out of your investment property? What I'm looking for out of an investment property is upwards of 7,500 every month. That comes to my pocket, not the rental money. Because if it's rental money only, but I'm still going to pay electricity and water, and I'm going to maintain it. I'm going to maintain the, 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 the property. By the time it gets to my bank, it's whittled off to something like 4,500. That's not what I'm looking for. So we only buy properties when we've done deal analysis, when we know what our strategy is, and when we know how much we're going to get out of it. It must talk to your strategy and it must earn what you are looking to earn, not the other way around. It is not cheap. It's not made cheap by the fact that you qualify for 1.2 million. So know your numbers, do your numbers, know your strategy, and be convinced about how much you're getting before you make an offer on a property. There is nothing like it's cheap. No, it's not cheap. <sighs> Oh my goodness. Question number six. Oh, question number six is interesting. Uh, one of the mentees says, so who must pay the municipality bill when I have a managing agent that takes 8% of my rental income? How come I find myself in areas at the municipality? So at the council, at the municipality, remember, the account, the bill comes in your name. It is your name on the bill because at the deeds office, the property was transferred to your name. So at the deeds office, they don't care. All they know is the owner's name. So landlord is the one that pays the electricity. The managing agent, will pay probably your homeowners association if you are inside of an estate. <coughs> and they will pay themselves their 6%, 8%, 10%, whatever it is that you agreed upon. Nothing else. The municipality bill, you need to check it yourself. Unless they say they will pay it for you, they will do the clearance at the municipality, but hardly ever. And it's never in the lease agreement you are responsible for your own municipality bill. So property magicians, I've answered six critical questions from 
maintenance, to knowing your numbers, to knowing. We will constantly be doing this type of podcast, this type of um, um, education episode, because our mission with Property Magicians podcast has always been and as you learn, and our podcast will remain free for you and for our listeners all the time because our mission is always to share information and to make it accessible and to simplify the property investment English. We leave it at that for today and we'll see you next time on another episode of Learn as you end. Just a reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Property Magicians. Property Stockfell, our Stockfell lives on Stockfeller app. Stockfeller is spelled as T-O-K-F-E-L-L-A. Stockfeller app is where you join the Stockfell and 1,000 rands makes you a member and then you can invest at any incremental amounts that you want, 500, 1,000, 2,000, whatever amount that you have. So <clears throat> please join us at the Stockfeller. We always have a deal for you and we fetch very, very attractive interest for our members. So if you want to join the Stockfeller, you are not sure what to do and you have got questions that you still need to ask, please go to www dot wealthy hyphen money dot com forward slash stockfell s-t-o-k-v-e-l so it's www wealthy hyphen money dot com forward slash stockfell and you will find our landing page there we have even made it easy for you by doing a frequently asked questions that you can uh, that you can read up but all the webinars we've had, all the deals that we have done on the Stockfell live on that lending side. So see you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, Property Magicians. My name is Vangilia Makwakwa and I am your host on the show. I help people heal their ancestral money stories so that they can fall in love with their bank accounts, become financially free and live their best lives. So if you would love to increase your income or you'd love to pay off your debts and increase your savings, contact me. You can contact me on the Wealthy Money website at wealthy-money.com. Again, wealthy-money.com. Or you can email me at vangile at wealthy-money.com. Again, vangile at wealthy-money.com. Find me on Facebook on the Wealthy Money group or on the Wealthy Money page or find me on Twitter and Instagram as vangile makwakwa. Now over to my co-host. Listening property magicians. My name is Vangile Makwakwa and I am your host on the show. I help people heal their ancestral money stories so that they can fall in love with their bank accounts, become financially free and live their best lives. So if you would love to increase your income or you'd love to pay off your debts and increase your savings, 
contact me. You can contact me on the Wealthy Money website at wealthy-money.com. Again, wealthy-money.com. Or you can email me at vangile at wealthy-money.com. Again, vangile at wealthy-money.com. Find me on Facebook on the Wealthy Money group or on the Wealthy Money page or find me on Twitter and Instagram as Vangile Makwakwa. Now over to my co-host.